All right, it is that time of the week. We are back here giving our top 10 left fielders this week. So let's hit the intro music and we'll get right into this. This is definitely one of the more interesting positions in baseball as we welcome you here to Side Retired. It's Dylan, Nico, and Henry, as always. And today we're breaking down the top 10 left fielders in baseball. And it's one of those lists that when we first said left fielders, not a lot of guys came to mind because it's definitely lacking the star power it did last year where we had Juan Soto listed as a left fielder. And there were a couple other really solid guys. Christian Yelich was closer to his MVP season, but... I think, and we'll introduce Nico and Henry here in a second, I think when we looked into the list further, there's actually a very decent class of above-average Major League Baseball players at this position. It's a weird way I'd introduce the topic is, Nico, Henry, how are you guys doing? Good. I think that this is the perfect, especially coming off of like our hot takes for 2024. I think this is the perfect list to have because it allows us, I think there's a lot of guys that you could see breaking out just in one way or another like for example last year you had nolan jones breaking out and he did and now he's one of the top left fielders like there's a lot of guys that i can argue had that nolan jones type year and they're one two three in the ranking like it henry how you doing not bad you know i was like i was definitely on that side of being severely underwhelmed when i thought about left fielders but doing a little like deep deep dive into some of these stats and like some of the breakout years, but also some of the re-breakout years where guys like re-cemented themselves as like top of the list guys. It, it's an interesting group of guys to be sure. Absolutely. And to put it out at the beginning, some of the players that you might consider left fielders, but uh, we are considering other positions. Juan Soto is now a right fielder for the New York Yankees. Masataki Yoshida is a DH. John Carlos Stanton's a DH. Jordan Alvarez is a DH. Brett Rooker's at DH, Chris Bryant's at first base, Teoscar Hernandez at right field, Jock Peterson's at DH, Lourdes Gurriel and Jorge Soler also at DH. So you'll likely hear them in a couple weeks from now, but that is the last mention of them on today's episode. But let's start it off 10 to 1 as we usually do. Nico, run down your list and then uh, Henry and then same thing I will do too. All right. Top 10 full of hot takes. Let's do, let's do this. <laughs> uh, number 10, we got a new Red Sox left fielder, Tyler O'Neill. At number nine, we got Spencer Steer. Eight, Stephen Kwan. Seven, Ian Happ. Six, Brian Reynolds. Going to the top five, we have Christian Yelich. Four, we have Randy Rosarena. Three, Evan Carter. At two, we have my boy MJ Melendez. And at number one, we got Nolan Jones. And Henry, take us through your list. All right. So at 10, we got Spencer Steer. Nine, we got Chaz McCormick. Eight, Lars Newtbar. Seven, Alex Verdugo. Six, Brian Reynolds. Five, Ian Happ. Four, Evan Carter. Three, Nolan Jones. Two, Randy Rosarena. And number one, Christian Yelich. All right, so I am interested, Nico, in your one and two off the bat, and that is Nolan Jones and MJ Melendez. So I know you want to splice this into two different clips for the Instagram. So tell us first about Nolan Jones being your number one, and then tell us about MJ Melendez as your number two. Uh, gladly. Um, Nolan Jones, I'm not going to go as far as to say he's 
the next Arenado and next Trevor Story. But I will go as far as say is he's the last, the next person that will be good that not have the Coors effect. I think there's a lot of stuff about the Coors effect with players that are very good in Colorado. Nolan Jones didn't do that. Nolan Jones had a 931 OPS this year. His OPS away was better OPS at home. And when you look at the left fielders, Nolan Jones offensively, if he's able to replicate or even do 80 to 90% of what he did this year, will be the best offensive for left fielder in the league. I mean, 935 was miles and leagues ahead above what everyone did that was a qualified batter at left field. I know we have some other guys that didn't do it long enough. Nolan Jones, what he was able to do over a year is was not replicated by anyone. So Nolan Jones just needs to replicate and continue to grow. Again, this is going to be his third year in the league. We're expecting his ceiling to get higher. Whenever people have good years, we expect that ceiling to grow when they've done it over a year. Nolan Jones is going to continue to grow, and there's a good chance that he just solidifies that offensive production, and he's easily the number one for years to come. Now, this is where it gets, because MJ, I, I love Nolan Jones. Nolan Jones actually did something, so this is a hot take. Um, MJ comes from a couple things. Very biased, number one. Number one, Miami guy. Got to rep for my Miami guys. The big thing is the podcast has really been around the Royals being good. <laughs> and I think that we all expect Bobby Witt to be Bobby Witt, which is, but the Royals, Dylan, you had the Royals winning the AL Central. I did. I had the Royals being good too. I don't know if they're going to win the AL Central. I haven't gone as far as saying that. What's going well for them to win the AL Central that didn't happen last year? Because we have to remember that they were atrocious last year. <laughs> like it's that, it's that simple. The Royals were atrocious last year. So what's different? Uh, if we, you people want to bank on Vinny Pasquantino coming off of his UCL injury to be it. That's great. I'm not. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with my boy. MJ Melendez, his third year in the minors, this is his third year in the big leagues. His third year in the minors hit 41 home runs. Correlation? No. It's causation. It's happened. <laughs> um, I think MJ really strained it out the second half of the year. He went and he doubled basically every single stat that he had. He went from a 600 OPS to a 950 OPS. He went from five home runs to 12 home runs. Everything that he did basically doubled. And again, he's in a league. He's in a division that is very susceptible for people breaking out. When you look at the central, everyone knows that the central divisions are worse. So if he's being in the central, he's able to have a breakout year. I know his defense is going to lack, but offensive production, he has the chance of having that breakout year that puts him in the top three. How I don't hate I I, I kind of like that? it. Am I convinced fully? Maybe. Here's my thing. If you have the Royals being number one, I do. Why? why? What makes it number one? I think Cole Reagan's is a sneaky Cy Young candidate. That's fine, but that's not going to get him first place. Do you want to know what the Cy Young candidate got the Yankees? Well, I think it got – No, it got – there's our one. It got the Yankees 80 – how many wins? 84? 82. 82. As much as we poo-poo on 82 wins, the AL Central that's winner That's what you might, would need to win the AL Central. The AL Central <laughs> winner might be like 84. You need like no. I genuinely think that it could take like 85 wins to win that division. Like, who's gonna? The Twins haven't done anything this offseason but lose Sunny Gray. Twins won 87 games and were nine games clear of the Tigers. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So 87 games. No, no, no but they didn't need 87. They, did, they needed nine up? less than 87. 
<laughs> if you think that Cole Reagan's having a Cy Young year and Bobby Witt Jr. with only is the only two things that and no one and else. I, I like Vinny Pesquantino coming back. And I like that Seth Lugo and Michael Walker are making 70 starts as opposed to Jordan Lyles and but we don't know Jackson Coward. Is Vinny Pasquantino is a left-handed batter that we expect things out of. What's the difference between expecting things out of Vinny Pasquantino and expecting things out of MJ Melendez? Zero. I, one of them I, had 41 bombs in the minors in one year. The other one didn't. We're not – like, there's no way to argue against you right now for MJ Melendez because – There isn't. Just there isn't watch. because it's it's a prediction. But there is one guy MJ that I think – silver- I will say, I think the difference between your approach and then Henry and mine is that – we went with the guys, and Henry did as well, at one and two, that I think going into the year, we know exactly what we're getting out of them in Christian Yelch and Randy Rosarain. If Henry, you want to detail how you decided on one and two. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be honest. When I, So what I do for these is I make out what I think my list is going to be, and then I check the stats. Right? So I go off of like what my, what my like gut is telling me. And I had Randy at one, and then I look at the stats, and I was like, so Christian Christian Yelich was like really back this year. Like like everybody was talking about, oh Christian Yelich, like is he back in MVP form? Is he like really that guy again? And then you look at the stats: a one twenty four OPS plus, he hit eight eighteen OPS, three six WAR. Like Yelich was nasty this year, and just overall a better player than a Rosarena. And I think that that's going to continue on into twenty twenty four. Not that a Rosarena is going to be bad by any means. Obviously, I still have him too, but I think. It was maybe it's just a little bit of nostalgia and wanting the Yelly Belly MVP years back, but I think that Yelich has an incredible case for being number one. And then Randy, we know what he, we know what we're gonna get out of Randy, right? He has like he has a hard floor at like the mid seven hundreds OPS. He's gonna play pretty good defense, and he's gonna he's gonna hit. He's gonna have swagger. So that's why I put him at two. And then Nolan Jones at three. He already detailed why the guy's a dog, and. Yeah. I think what he basically just said is he put Randy Rosarina above MJ Melendez because of swagger, which can't <laughs> sit well with me right now. That's, um, that's, that's wild. <laughs> the epitome of swag. I think the difference is we know the worst year for Randy Rosarina is probably like a 760-770 OPS. And I think there's a world, as unlikely or as likely it is, is MJ could be at around 700. There's also a world where MJ's at 850 and is better than Randy. Versus Randy, I think we're knowing that we're getting in that 770 to 800 and it's a lock and he's going to be a solid Major League Baseball player. But that's just the difference in how it looks like Henry versus Nico are stacking up their list this year. But there's one guy that's a wild card. He's played in a grand total of five Major League Baseball games in the regular season and did well in the postseason, but... Obviously, there's a big difference between playing in 20 games versus playing in 10 years as some of these guys had. How did you two approach Evan Carter? It's so weird because everything like you said, like there's this is basically what Evan Carter, again, you take postseason, I really think is like obviously people look at film and like say, but that there's not enough on Evan Carter. He's basically the two weeks of Ellie is really what we've seen. That month of Ellie, where everyone thought that Ellie De La Cruz was the best player we've ever seen and he was going to go down as the greatest baseball player of all time, is basically the sample size we got of Evan Carter. So it's hard because 
we all saw what happened with Ellie De La Cruz after he came back to earth because rookies struggle. It's that simple. Rookies either go one or two ways. They go like Fernando Tatis and your studs. They burst onto the scene and just stud forever, which happens. Yeah. Or they are very similar to Ellie De La Cruz where they'll either burst onto the scene and then struggle because they're rookies or just struggle and then have to develop. I personally, because of the postseason, give some credit to Evan Carter, the fact that he faced the elite pitchers of the league, and the fact that Randy Rosarena and Christian Yelich, Yelich, for me, the big thing is that Christian Yelich didn't fix the big problem as to why he stopped hitting. So I don't think that the 800 OPS is sustainable. And Randy Rosarena, the last two years, hasn't had an 800 OPS. So my thing is, do I think Evan Carter has the ability to get an 800 OPS? Absolutely. So if I think he's able to get an 800 OPS, I can easily put him with his defense and his speed and the tools that he has above Randy Rosarena and Yelich. So I put him at three. So you have Evan Carter at three. Henry, you have Evan Carter at four. Anything to add on that? Or do you want to go to another player on your list? No, I mean, the dude's the, the dude's a dog. But, like, but I understand the concern there with, like, he has only really played five regular season games and had a good postseason run. Um, but no, we can move to the, like, I would call it like, the second tier of really good left fielders. Absolutely. And that and is the guys. So that, I, yeah, go for it. No, go ahead. I was going to say, and that is the, for people who don't know, that middle tier of our list that we had a Brian Reynolds, Ian Happ, and probably Stephen Kwan type of baseball player in there. So I, I can talk about why I left Stephen Kwan off. Oof. And it's sort of because it's, uh, for me, Maybe I'm just like, maybe I'm just a hater, right? But like, it feels like I don't know what the Guardians' direction is, right? And it seemed when the Guardians were directionless, Stephen Kwan was not good, right? He was very strong as a complementary piece, but going into this year, the Guardians were like, "Yeah, man, we've got we got a good roster. We got Jose Ramirez. We've got Stephen Kwan." Like they were like, they were locked in as this is one of our guys, and he just very very much underperformed right so i think that even guys like at the bottom of my list chads mccormick spencer steer i i may might be hedging my bets a little bit that they're going to outperform obviously steer could have the same type of like sophomore struggle that Quan did but i just i don't know how much of a bounce back we're going to see out of steven Quan. it might be like a 20 point average boost but i think we've seen what his slugging and his on base looks like so now it's just literally about how many hits the guy gets. Nico, give the pro Stephen Kwan argument, because I believe you still had him on your list, but not extremely high on your list. Yeah, my simple thing is I think if he wins gold glove, he's going to be a top 10 left fielder because he just simply won the gold glove. And I think that he's, he's the best defender at left field. I think that his range is probably unparalleled at that position. So... The 270 that he hit this year, but I think that he can just get to that. If he gets to that and is a gold glove caliber, I don't think that there's enough people who are going to have breakout 800 OPS years that pass him from being in the top 10. So I believe I have him at eight. Yes. He just verify. Yeah. I got him around eight. I think that that's basically kind of, to be honest, I think that's his floor. I think that his floor is eight, meaning if he hits 270 or 250, even he hits 250. And wins the gold glove. And I say he had the eighth best season out of a left fielder. It's pretty solid. So my whole thing is 
his defense is clearly like leagues above everyone else. So all he has to do is hit 250 and he's a top 10 left fielder in my book. I think that's what led me to the argument for my guy who I actually had semi-high and that is at number five, if I have this correctly, and that's Ian Happ. And that Ian Happ, I don't think people realize this. Has Sneaky become the face of the Cubs having played seven years for them already? And I think when people think of Ian Happ, you probably assume he's in year three or year four, but it's actually been seven years in the majors. And Ian Happ has been an above average hitter in every single year. His lowest OPS plus was a 103 in those seven years. Last year, he hit 20 bombs again. He's sneaky becoming the face of the Chicago Cubs. And again, just like Nico said that we're the very pro Kansas City Royals podcast, we're also very heavy pro Cubs. And the same argument that Nico used for how are the Kansas City Royals getting better? I think some of the easy ways for the Cubs to be getting better next year, despite losing Cody Bellinger, probably, and despite losing Marcus Stroman, probably, is either a Ian fully all-star breakout season, maybe Matt Mervis comes up and tries to produce 75% of what Bellinger did last year. Some of the youngsters like Justin Steele continue to take a step in the next direction. Hayden Wesneski could be a star starting pitcher at some point soon. But I think one of the sure things, because again, we want to stay consistent on the podcast, as to how the Cubs, who have not spent a single dollar on free agency, with the exception of the Craig Council contract, I think one of the easiest ways to see the Cubs doing well is Dansby Swanson leading the team, as we all alluded to last week, having him on our top 10s. And I think for the same exact reasoning, having Ian Happ on your top 10 list makes a lot of sense too. I think a 25 homer season is really likely. I think a 115 OPS plus is probable. And I think because of that, especially if he's leading a Cubs team that I think Ian Happ is the face of the post-World Series Cubs, if that makes any sense. I think beyond Bryant, Rizzo, Contreras, and Baez, the next core, which has been a struggle to establish, I think they're starting to do it right now with Nico Horner, Danzy Swanson, I think Ian Happ is that third guy. So there's the little Ian Happ tangent, and shout out to him for being a good left fielder in my book. But let's get down towards the bottom of our list, because we have some guys that we all disagree on slash we wanted to make room for, and it's kind of ironic given that we all found room for our team's left fielder and nobody else found room for our team's left fielder, and that is Nico put Tyler O'Neill, Henry put Alex Verdugo, and I put Demetrius Jerome Stewart. The other two did not have that player on their list, which tells you where our biases stand. So, Nico, you're up first with Tyler O'Neill. My whole argument for Tyler O'Neill has nothing to do with Tyler O'Neill. Truly, yeah. it has nothing to do. I mean, we, I could talk about how all he has to do is get back to what he's done before and get that ninth. He, he's gotten a 930 OPS before. And I can mm-hmm. just argue that he just needs to do that again, which would be pretty logical. My whole argument is going to stem from the fact that last year, um, we got Duval to go from a 660 OPS to an 830 OPS. And it seemed, and no one saw that coming. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest, I didn't see it coming. The one argument I have to, that I think is just the best argument is that the Red Sox will have a top 10 offense this year because okay. they always have a top 10 offense this year. Tyler O'Neill will be starting on that team. So I think Tyler O'Neill will have a breakout year because when people start playing for the Red Sox, they figure out ways to hit. Last year, Justin Turner turned it around. He had, everyone's kind of thought it was the beginning of the end 
for Justin Turner. And then he goes and has an 850 OPS. Adam Duvall couldn't hit water. He fell off of a bow, had a 660 OPS. Comes to the Red Sox, has an 830 OPS. And people are like, where the hell did this come from? <laughs> the basis of my argument stems from my faith in the Red Sox organization that when people like Duvall, people like Justin Turner, people like Tyler O'Neill come to the Red Sox, they're going to hit. And Tyler O'Neill has the tangibles. He's jacked to go and put that 900 OPS season that he's done before again. So my whole argument stems from I trust the Red Sox to have Tyler O'Neill figure it out. I don't hate it. Kind of like it. It's not a bad argument. <laughs> it's relying a lot on a team to develop the player rather than the player himself. Yes, it's fine. I don't care <laughs> how he gets there. I just care that he gets there. Like we're talking about no matter how bad the Red Sox were atrocious last year, atrocious top 10 in every offensive category besides steals. Like that's what we're talking about. And uh -huh. they were bad. And I don't think there's a, a team that was like, yeah, they're good. Top 10 in every category. Average on base, slugging, home runs. Every single one. You can name it. They were there. The only problem is they allowed seven runs a game every single time. But and they haven't done anything to fix the pitching staff. I don't. This isn't a starting pitching <laughs> ranking. This is a <laughs> ranking. So Tyler O'Neill's on that offense. And that's not even going to the fact that he's at minimum going to be a good defender. But I like it. my faith is in the Red Sox having him develop and fix his problems. Henry, take us about former... Boston Red Sox, now New York Yankee, Alex Verdugo. Yeah, I'm sort of gambling on the fact that his down season had a lot to do with Nico, would we call it a strained relationship with him and the Red Sox? I would call it, a, yeah. Yeah, yeah a strained relationship where, like, he was showing up late, right? Like, it was, and was getting benched. It was, it was not a pretty end to his Red Sox tenure, right? But he's shown that he can do it. And even in what I believe is the worst year of his career, he was an average hitter. He played okay defense, right? He was mediocre. He's the he's the benchmark of a like mediocre, I would say solid left fielder. And I think that we as we as is always talked about when we get a left-handed bat in the Bronx, oh, you know, we got the short porch and right. Um that I not only is that gonna do him a certain a service, but this dude loves to compete, right? Like in, in his first interview, he talks about, man, it pissed me off at the fact that they traded me to the Yankees, right? And then like the guy has a fire underneath him. It's just sort of about tapping into that. And I think I probably put him a little too high, just purely <laughs> out of purely out of just straight bias. But I think that Verdugo has shown that he has the tools. It's just about Will he be willing to tap into them? And I think a change of scenery is going to be especially important for him. I think Verdugo is going to go one of two ways with the most important part of anything that determines Yankee success. I think the media is the biggest part of how people are able to handle the Yankees media. It's going to go one of two ways. He's either going to not care about the media because that's his, again, I followed him for three years, because he doesn't care about the media. He's just going to be like, screw you guys, F off. And he's going to play well. <laughs> and that's not going to affect him. Or he's going to play terrible. Like, I mean, he's going to play bad. And once that slump hits, the media is going to get on him. And he's going to just spiral out of control and have that same reaction, just slump. Like, he, I think that 
his co- dealing with the media is going to be exactly how this goes. Because again, for what besides the end of his career his tenure with the Red Sox, where everyone kind of knew he was gone and started like crapping on him for two and a half years. Everyone really loved him because we were kind of forced, which this is not a knock on Verdugo. We had to love Verdugo because it was like we traded him. He was a part of Mookie Betts. He was the main part of Mookie Betts. So it's like if we don't love him, we're basically saying that there was no reason to trade Mookie Betts, which, spoiler alert, there wasn't. There wasn't. (laughs) But like this is not a knock on Verdugo, but I think Verdugo really, besides the end of his career where everyone knew he wasn't going to be a Red Sox anymore, hasn't really dealt with like the typical Red Sox media. Everyone majority loved him. So I think the way that he deals with the Yankee media is literally going to be the way that dictates how he does with New York. I just couldn't put a beardless Alex Verdugo on my top 10. Because, oh, God, it's so bad. Also, let's <laughs> screw him. So screw it's so him. bad. It's so bad. <laughs> uh, but I will talk about a guy that when I say a 128 OPS plus, that's pretty good. If I talked about a 500 slugging percentage, it's also pretty good. And a 333 on base percentage, also pretty good. And 11 home runs in 58 games puts you on a pace around 30 in a season. If those numbers actually happen, which again, small sample, we're going to make it bigger, which is always risky to do. DJ Stewart's a top 10 left fielder in baseball. Now, I think the only way that this doesn't happen is if the Mets sign a left fielder, which to be determined, I think entering the year, they were very good with Ronnie Mauricio is going to be third, Brett Beatty's still involved. And as a result, DH is going to be mixing and matching and they're not going to go acquire an everyday player. Now, I think with Mauricio out for the season, there's a chance the Mets drop in a J.D. Martinez or they drop in a Harrison Bader or a Justin Turner. And that will take playing time away from Demetrius Jerome Stewart, which would mean, and again, we'll have this debate in 12 months when this comes back up. If D.J. Stewart plays in 85 games, but in those 85 games put up a 135 OPS plus, and the only problem he didn't get his full sample is because the Mets would rather play Harrison Bader, who's putting up an 88 OPS plus, but is good defensively. We're going to have some sort of disagreement at some point. So I don't know. Is this a biased pick? Not a Mets bias, but it's a recency bias in that this feels very similar to shout out to friend of the podcast, Frank Schwindel who in 2021, I believe the year was, had an amazing end of the season. Very similar to DJ Stewart. Was a non-tendered player by the, I believe with Frank Schwindel, was the A's with DJ Stewart. It was the Orioles. And then all of a sudden on a non-playoff team, 2021 Cubs, 2023 Mets, was the weird random spark that actually performed very well down the stretch and won a starting job. Schwindel was the 2022 opening day first baseman for the Cubs. Uh, for the sake of our friend, we will not reveal what happened in 2022 with Frank Schwindel getting released and played in Japan in 2023. But Stewart could go one of two ways. It could be the Schwindel route. And unfortunately, we never hear from DJ Stewart again. And he's not even brought up on next year's top 10 left fielders episode, with the only exception being, remember when Dylan had DJ Stewart as his top 10 left fielder? Or this could be the beginning. Because we've seen this happen with other players that are thrown off to the wayside by other teams and then are signed to a minor league deal, invited to spring training, and they take off and they become a pillar of that franchise for years to come. Look no further than our recent TikTok, Mount Rushmore for the Los Angeles Dodgers, Justin Turner. 
was non-tendered by the Orioles, was non-tendered by the Mets, picked up by the Dodgers, and spent a decade there. Do I think that's DJ Stewart? Yes. But really, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd rather stick him on my 10 right now with the 10% chance that it's true. And a year from now, I can be like, I win, guys. Because all year, we have to admit, we've been throwing our 10th spot as really like it just cast it out there and see what happens position. And I could go with the boring Chaz McCormick or Michael Conforto or Spencer Steer, who Nico's going to talk about in a second. But I'd rather go extremely bold and wild and crazy and throw DJ Stewart's name out there because it would be a cool story if he was a top 10 left fielder in 2024. But Spencer Steer, Nico, you had him as your number nine. Henry, you also had him as your number 10. I love the bat, but he's never played left field before. I don't care as long as he has the bat. I mean, that's the same thing <laughs> as long as he has the bat. Like, I am very, I think that as these lists has gone on, I've very heavily been like, defense, you know, just don't die out there. And if you hit enough, then we'll just, you know, like, just not look. Because I think that's really how everyone views these lists. I think, again, if we do a stat algorithm, I think everyone's list is completely different. People really care about your offensive production. And that's what Sensor did. I mean, of the guys here, I mean, every single person on my list up to... Nolan Jones and Evan Carter, he had a better OPS then. And Evan Carter played 20-something games in total in his career. Nolan Jones is the only person who has above an 800 OPS. Maybe Yelich. Yelich is at around 800, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, who yeah, was maybe. able to do it consistently for a whole year. So the question is, can he do it again? He doesn't need to do the 820 OPS again. I think if he has around an 800, a 790 OPS and is average in the outfield, that looks a lot like Randy Rosarena's season. Yes, Rosarena is better in the outfield, but again, that's kind of what we looked at this year. Spencer Steer just has to, again, I'm very good with guys doing 80% of what they do. I think that's very reasonable to say. And 80% of what Spencer Steer did is an 800 OPS, and I think it's very difficult to say that a guy in the guys that we're talking about, then 800 OPS isn't easily a top 10 outfielder, no matter how bad he is defensively if he gets to the game quota. I like it. Henry, quickly before we get into our final segment of yay or nay, Lars Newtbar versus Chaz McCormick at your eight and nine. Was that just a coin toss or how did you decide on those two at the end? Yeah, it was pretty much a coin toss. I think I, overall, I obviously Chaz's bat is better but I think that not only do I trust Lars Newbar in the outfield a little bit more um I think he's also improved it for a little longer I think I could very easily by next year if Chaz McCormick has the year that I'm expecting from him I think he could be moving up the list like even more I think I really like Chaz McCormick but I think I just like I have a little more trust in what Newbar is going to be than than Chaz I like it. So let's get into yay or nay, where, of course, we will say whether our co-hosts buy or sell on some of the hottest takes that were submitted by our listeners. Again, center field is next week's side retired pod at gmail.com. If you want to be considered in next year's list or next week's list, we get to have some fun for the first time. James Tausig's list is a part of yay or nay. He just sent it to me saying my bad. I forgot to wake up. Number one. Evan Carter is in the number one spot for James Tausig. He's followed by Randy Rosarena at two. Ian Happ is in the three spot. I thought I was high on Ian Happ, but okay. 
Chaz McCormick, Henry, you thought you were high. Chaz McCormick's at number four. Christian Yelich is five. Brian Reynolds is six. I apologize. I don't even think we talked about Brian Reynolds. Really solid player. Going to put up great numbers in Pittsburgh, but I think he fits that middle of the pack really well. what he was really supposed well. to be. <laughs> For like two years, thought that trade was going to happen, whether it was the Andujar or Clint Frazier. Or... The betting odds on him being a Yankee were like minus 500, and it just didn't happen. <laughs> so Stephen Kwan is at seven. Nolan Jones is down at eight on his list. Spencer Steer found his way at number nine. And number 10 is the greatest fantasy football player of all time. Tommy Pham made James Tausig's list at number 10, following a good playoffs for the Arizona Diamondbacks. I don't know about that one. I love Tommy Pham. Was great with the Mets, but asking him to replicate, it's going to be tough. Like recency bias of like, wow, he did good (laughs) in the playoffs, but um McCormick's too high but other than that I mean we're talking there's a lot of guys that you can do and like this is the most projection I think that we're we've had in a list so like Evan Carter number one it's fine it's a lot of projection Nolan Jones is way too low after the season he had last year I think that people need to put respect on the season he had last year for the simple reason of he's did it away like he, I understand the course effect He's the one guy that since like Nato and Trevor Story did it away, he cannot be eight on anyone's list. I think that's way too low for the offensive production he had. How about buy or sell on a take that I had on my list? Mark Hanna is a top 10 left fielder. Sell, sell, sell. Wow. Yeah. We're shorting the stock. Like, Mark um, you realize yeah. he put up a 120 OPS plus last year. That's fine. Yeah. I, I love that with the yeah. Brewers. But I love Mark Hanna. One machine... Hit by lead base and hit by pitches in two consecutive years. Like, you understand by the logic of the list, he won't crappy be a good player. Field. Yes, he will. Then, where's Yelich playing? He got traded to the Tigers. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, shit. I, and I love that big ballpark for him because Mark Hanna's game is not home runs, it's hit the ball in the gap and get doubles. It's the Oakland A's way. Mark Hanna was at his best, loved him as a Met, and that. Philly home run will forever be remembered. His best is when he's in a cavernous stadium like Oakland and he just can go gap to gap. Comerica is very similar to that with their massive right field that Mark Hanna is just going to pluck balls out there, go the other way. And I think the ballpark factor is going to help him out a lot. It's just he, my little take on Mark Hanna. And again, it's what I've said as a reason for a lot of things in my And whenever someone's in the central, I always say the same thing. You're getting help. I think that the central divisions are a bigger help than playing at Coors. I think the Coors <laughs> effect. I'm no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not saying that like as a joke. I'm saying that that's serious. Like Cody Bellinger. You think Cody Bellinger went to the Cubs only because the Cubs offered him the best contract? Probably no. <laughs> Cody Bellinger went to the Cubs because he wanted that one year deal so that he can prove it himself to get this year. And the best place that you can do that is in the central. I like the it. fact that Canna's in the central is going to help him tremendously. If there's a time he's going to be a top 10 left fielder, it's going to be this year. <laughs> All right. Uh, how about Harry Kilman had at number two, a player that we've not mentioned on any of our lists. Austin Hayes of the Baltimore Orioles. No. I, I thought about Hayes, but no, I don't think so. At number two. How about another player that he fit onto his list, Dalton Varshow? Another Dalton. guy I thought about couldn't find a way. The only value of Dalton Varsho is that you can get him as your catcher in fantasy baseball. 
and catchers usually aren't that good offensively. But even that, I got him benched in my fantasy. So because he was so bad and I picked him so high in my fantasy, um, no. Does Nay. MJ does MJ still have catcher eligibility? He does. We like that. How about at number nine on Harry's list? Sorry to pick on Harry this episode, but his list was interesting this time. Andrew Benintendi found his way onto the list this time. Oh God, I wanted it so bad. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted it so bad, but the Because point the thing is, like, work did not again, do it. of any of the guys that we've we've named, if you told me Ben Attendee, I don't think any of us think it's going to happen. Ben Attendee had an 800 OPS next year. Is anyone, like, surprised? No, no. Like, no one's surprised. And, again, 800 OPS probably gets you on this list. Last That's year was it. just bad for him. Like, I It don't know was if it was bad. just the White Sox, but it just, nah. 800 OPS gets you on this list, I think. Or, to be honest, it gets you on most lists. 800 OPS gets you on most lists. If he has an 800 OPS with his above-average defense, probably going to be a top-10 left fielder this year if he gets to that number. So he could be. Don't think he will, but... To continue on the Harry trend, because he had another player on his list that we have not mentioned yet. Eddie Rosario. Oh, I wanted to put Eddie. I really, I really did. I, I have like throwback to his, to his Carter number be the show, but um, I'm, I'm gonna go nail on that. I don't think that. I think that he's again gonna be like kind of that seventh to eighth we on the Braves lineup. Well, that's the interesting thing. To quote Bob Nightingale, the Dodgers let go of Cody Ballinger and the Dodgers rarely make mistakes. This offseason, the Braves let go of Eddie Rosario and moved on and said Jared Kelnick's our starting left fielder. And Eddie Rosario is just sitting out there in free agency without a whisper of a rumor. I think if the Braves are moving on from Eddie, he's getting older. I think they know the time is up. And if the Braves, to quote the Bob Dodger logic, if the Braves are letting go of him, the Braves rarely make mistakes. Was the only thing that kept him off my list. Yeah, that's valid. Thank But you, Bob. I could, again, same thing, could see him being in the top 10 easily. How about another guy that we have not mentioned yet that a Twins fan said that Matt Walner is going to have a breakout season? I think breakouts, I'm a big fan of putting guys to breakouts. So I'll say yay just because I'm a fan of breakouts. If you think that you're a young star, young stars, it's kind of a matter of like you just believe in them. There's not really no rhyme or reason for why a guy is going to break out. They just do. No one thought that Matt McLean and Spencer Steer were going to have the years they had. And they did. So just the belief that your guy that's a Twins guy is going to break out, I love it. So I'll say yay. Another email we received, quote, I am a Mets fan, so Jared Kelnick will be a top five left fielder this year. <laughs> the, no, stop. Just yeah, stop. Keep moving, that's keep so moving. true. That's so true. I... Keep moving. Can I that's, buy? That's so true. It was like, for sure Frank the Tank. <laughs> like I did consider Kelnick's numbers, not a top 10 left fielder. Kelnick's numbers with the Braves next year, probably a top 10 left fielder. How about Michael Brantley? I wanted I wanted to put Brantley on so bad that he's a professional hitter, but honestly, if somebody puts Michael Brantley on at like ten, I I completely support that. Yeah, the the problem with Brantley is just his, especially the fact that he's getting older too, is the fact that he has his issues like staying on the field and that he and he's um getting older um. I can tell you for right now, one of my boys, right when we post this list, he's going to tell me, where's Michael Brantley? How do you not have Michael Brantley? Because he's a massive Michael Brantley guy. But I just don't know if I trust him for a whole 162 anymore. 
And because of that, like, you just can't, like, for example, the thing that you said is DJ Stewart, a top 10, if he plays 85 games as a 130 OPS, no, because he played half the season. He's half of a baseball player. Like, it's the same thing. If Michael Brantley can't get to like 100 games, I can't see him being a top 10 left fielder. Another player or another email that we received started with a question and then revealed the name of the player later. If you hit 40 home runs in a season, are you a top 10 left fielder? I'm going to say no, so I don't look like an idiot when they say the name. Who hit it? Joey Gallo. Oh. <laughs> no. 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 Prime Texas Joey Gallo was a top 10 left fielder. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because that guy so, played defense. That's so, such maybe a... he, so maybe he comes back. Maybe You just said you like breakout bounce backs. Yes, but he he didn't hit 40 home runs. He could hit 40 home runs. His whole thing was, if you hit 40 home runs, are you a top 10? He hasn't hit 40 home runs in seven in five years. <laughs> could happen. If he goes to course, Rockies sign him. Like, he hasn't hit over 200. Oh, that, don't, don't mention his batting average. He was like, with the Yankees for a bit. It's okay. batting average. Fine. How about another guy that struggled? Michael Conforto. Any thought process there? I don't. I no. don't like have no. a real opinion on. I don't like Mets outfielders for some reason. I don't like him. <laughs> I don't like Brandon Nimmo. So I, I'm going to refrain. I don't think he's top ten mainly because I think Mets outfielders suck. So no. <laughs> Even though he's on the Giants now. I know he's on the Giants now, but still, no. <laughs> Other names that I'll throw out there that received consideration, but I didn't really consider them, but people submitted on their list as having breakouts or solid seasons include Brandon Marsh, Taylor Ward, J.J. Bladé having a breakout season, Jesse Winker, and Jerkson Profar. Any of those names sound interesting. I didn't even consider a single one of those souls. Uh, J.J. Bladé is really interesting. I think that he... Has a very to me, I his comp for me is Brian Reynolds for the simple fact that they both were like studs at Vanderbilt. So I mm -hmm. think that because of that, there's an easy chance that he's just like, oh, I'm gonna hit like Brian Reynolds this year for some odd reason and make some adjustments and maybe like talk to him and get some advice on how to be a good left fielder. And he ends up being a top 10 left fielder. Henry, any of those? Not especially, no. <laughs> No. So then, then that brings us to the end of our episode where David Halpert revealed his top 10 left fielders. And I'm going to be honest, this is David's best list yet. From a Not from a content point, from a point of I actually genuinely see where he's coming from with this list. And a Rosarine is one, Yelich is two. The order is going to be wonky, but the 10 guys he has in is correct because Stephen Kwan is three. <laughs> uh, Nolan Jones is four. Ian Happ is five. Chaz McCormick is six. Austin Hayes is seven. Ryan Reynolds is eight. Alex Verdugo is nine. And the recency bias of Tommy Pham is 10. To be honest, I wouldn't, besides Tommy Pham, like I said with James, Tommy's I wouldn't a change a thing about his list besides the fact that there's so many guys. Like I think left field is really a toss-up. I think you have to have your Evan Carter, your Nolan Jones, your Randy Rosarena, your Yelich and Reynolds. And after that, I think there's a good argument for a lot of people. 
to be on this list. I think Stephen Kwan being number three is not out of this world at all. I mean, if Stephen Kwan hits 300 and is a gold glove, he's a top three left fielder. Again, I think people are really overstating what Randy Rosarena and Yelich did. And just like, the again, Randy Rosarena didn't have, hasn't had an 800 OPS in the last two years. I think a lot of people are jaded from the 2020 playoff run. I think that he's good. I don't know if he's just far and away the number one left fielder that people think he is. And Christian Yelich, the big thing about Christian Yelich is he had an 800 OPS this year, but he didn't fix the big thing that made him good, which is the big problem that he's had. His barrels haven't gone down. It's just that he's hit the ball into the ground. And because he's hit the ball into the ground, he hasn't been as good. He had an 800 OPS last year. His launch angle went up by 0.5 degrees. When he was MVP, it was at 9 degrees and 11 degrees. It's still at 4 degrees. So if he doesn't get it up, I don't think he's going to be... I don't think he's going to replicate 800. I think it's just going to be, he's going to have an 800 by luck and he's going to not have an 800 because everything's going to regress to the mean. So I think having Juan up there, I, I'm going to say I don't hate it at all. I really don't see a problem with his list because you can honestly put so many orders to the people on this list. I only had one criticism for the list. I think Evan Carter's the top 10 left fielder at this point. Evan Carter's not on it? Oh, sorry, yeah. dog. Dang it. It's, it's <laughs> I, so- I, he did give because I texted immediately. I was like, solid list. The one thing is Evan Carter. And his explanation quote was Evan Carter won the World Series with the Rangers as a late replacement last year. However, I need to see more from him to make my top 10. He's shown signs with an OPS of 1080 or 1058 in the regular season. However, if you look at his numbers, he's only had 18 hits in the major leagues versus 19 strikeouts that he's had in the major leagues, which means he's had more strikeouts than hits which is not a good spot for his future. He did walk 10 times, stole three bases, big future ahead, but could see some regression in 2024. I think that's completely valid. That was actually, you know what? Props. I disagree, <laughs> but I think it's valid. Well, my big, like, think, because I've never heard, I know strikeouts to walks the thing. I've never heard someone compare strikeouts to hits. Yeah. I Is that, like, I assume Aaron Judge strikes out more than he gets hits. I think most of those big sluggers do. Um, the exception is probably being like Luis Arias gets more hits than he strikes out. But I, they're they're about even usually. Like mm-hmm. I think, I think obviously like guys like Arias probably not. But I think like yeah. most people they'd be pretty similar. Uh-huh. So okay, David, that's not the worst argument for not having Evan Carter on. I disagree, but again, we will be back again. Next week, breaking down our top 10 center fielders, we've got a couple of great interviews coming out in the meantime. And we would like to say, even though we're recording this episode, it'll come out on Friday. But by the time we're recording this episode, happy 21st birthday to co-host Nico here on the podcast. Having some fun on his birthday, talking top 10 left fielders and MJ Melendez. But for Dylan and Nico and Henry, until the next time, cool interviews on the way. And the side is retired.